0: I found a different type of fulfillment in helping people just be able to get their lives back on track to be able to feel empowered and i think that was my main thing was to help people feel empowered really made me feel
1: good welcome back to i'm the villain um today we are here with destiny and destiny i'm actually just going to let you introduce yourself because I think that only you can do you justice.
0: (laughs) Okay, Uh, so my name is Destiny Kinsey uh, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker uh, and I'm licensed in the states of Louisiana and Texas. So I provide services to both of those states. I currently live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area um, and I'm originally from Minden, Louisiana. It's a small town, maybe 30 minutes outside of Shreveport. Uh, I moved to Dallas uh, so that I can have more career opportunities. And so uh, since moving here, my career really has blossomed and I've learned a lot. And that's exciting for me. Uh, I have a four month old daughter named Gianna. And so, <laughs> shout out, Gianna. Uh, yeah, shout out to Gianna. Uh, one day, maybe she'll listen to this and it's like, OK, I got shouted it out. And um, but yeah, she's my one and only baby. So um, even that has sparked like a new interest for me with my career and so yeah that's pretty much me in a nutshell and i did uh, attend Gramlin state university for uh my undergrad and graduate career so i'm an hbcu advocate amazing yeah
1: um so you are a social worker which i know can mean so many things and it means you can work in so many fields Where do you actually work? You don't have to give like names and proper nouns, (laughs) but, you know, what kind of institutions do you work in?
0: I uh, actually work for the second largest school district in Texas. um, And my role with the school district is a licensed mental health clinician. Um, And so I'm assigned to a school where I provide individual group uh, therapy, do assessments, um, re-screenings, things like that. And then also in part time, I provide online therapy um, for people who may be experiencing depression or anxiety. Um, and other uh, diagnoses. And I'm in the process of starting my own private practice, 100 percent online private practice. Um, And so that is up and coming within the next Mm -hmm. few weeks, actually.
1: So, man, I can't imagine being (laughs) what being a social worker and doing therapy in a school is like. Mm -hmm. I'd love to just like kind of hear you talk about what a typical day is for you.
0: Oh, so no day is typical. So that's good, <laughs> but it's uh, I mean, it's enjoyable. I've that's pretty much been my career focus. Um, it's my first job right out of grad school. Was in a school as a school therapist, um, and I continue to act in that role now that I'm in Texas. Um, and so, a typical day usually starts out with coming in, you know, checking emails and checking in on students who uh, I have on my caseload, um, and then providing those individual services. So therapeutic services, maybe doing assessments on new students to see if there's any issues. Uh, We have teachers that come in and they'll ask you like, hey, can you observe this student and see if there's anything that you can do for them or any suggestions that you may want to make? And so we do that. And then I work hand in hand with the school staff. So the school counselors, the school principal, assistant principals, um, just really working with them to find out the needs of the students and how I can best serve them. And I have a unique role within my department because I'm the um I'm there every day. Um, whereas opposed to some of my coworkers float schools, I'm at one school every day. Um, and so with that, I have the opportunity to do more things. And so like recently I just did a presentation for them, you know, bulletin board on healthy mind, healthy body, and that equals, you know, a healthy you. Um, and so just talking about the connection between mental health and physical health, um, and mm-hmm. emotional health and how that makes a whole child. So it's a it's a wide range of things that we do for our job. And then there's also, you know, with the job, there comes a uh, risk. And so I help this right. uh, suicide and homicidal risk um, with students and then provide services to them from there or provide referrals for the family or the student.
1: Right. OK, so, Destiny, you said that you are centered in one school, but you have coworkers that kind of float around, right? Yes. Um. I don't, I mean, like, I know that there's a narrative of and I feel like I kind of know this to be true that like, you know, there's just like a huge like schools are understaffed and mm-hmm. as it relates to like social workers and stuff like that. Does that kind of ring true for you? Oh, of course. Yes, uh, we we have several schools that still need to be filled
0: and we don't have the staff to fill them. Um, and, you know, it's difficult because if you ask these schools, like most of the schools will say they want somebody there every single day. Um, right. But the the funding and the staffing is just not there for them to be able to have someone every single day. And so that's something that even with our department, it has uh, increased. increase. Uh, they hired like uh, an additional, I think, um, 60 clinicians all together this year um, with this huge ex- expansion in our department. But um, even still, then the need for mental health services is so great that we just not met yet.
1: So. Mm-hmm. And so it is <clears throat> in your eyes kind of more of a a funding problem than it is like people wanting to work in
0: that. Oh, way. yeah, definitely. Um, and then but even with the pandemic, now we are, you know, even aside from school, if we're just talking about in general, um, professional, you know, mental health professionals being there, there's a need that has increased so much since the pandemic started. Um, so not just with schools, but, you know, not not with just with kids, but with adults as well. And so we are seeing, um, you know, for me and some of my colleagues that provide therapy as well, they're seeing that there is, a, you know, they have long wait lists. Um, they're having trouble even finding people to refer people to for services if they can't fit them mm-hmm. because everybody is full. Um, and so as a therapist, like, oh, yeah, great, I'm full. But for a patient or a client, that's not great whenever they're trying to have access to resources. So, you know, as a therapist, we try to make sure that we can refer them to somebody that you know, meets their needs and has openings and availability for them. But right now that's right. tough with the pandemic.
1: Yeah. Cause nobody has any availability. <laughs>
0: that's what it feels like for a lot of them. And then, you know, there's other factors that go into trying to find a therapist too, that can make it a little bit more difficult for people. Um, you know, if they're looking for a therapist that accepts their certain insurance and if they don't have insurance, finding a therapist that, um, you know, meets their needs as far as what they're willing to pay or can pay, um, Finding a of the therapist that meets their needs, as far as like if they have a lot of trauma, uh, if they prefer a male or female therapist, like so much goes into that. i yeah, um, sure. trying to get that good fit for them.
1: Um. So when I I was I, the first time I ever saw a therapist, I was like too I was like too old. I was like 22. You know, I should have been like or 23. I should have definitely sought therapy before that. But I, when I first was going through the process, like I feel like my main limiter was that. I didn't really have health insurance that could cover like my therapy. Right. And I didn't really, I wasn't in a high paying job and I was able to find this. um, I forget the name of it now, but essentially this like sort of collective service that allowed me to access therapy at a cheaper rate. Um, And I was wondering if there's like any kind of equivalent in Dallas or in Texas to that, like how is there a way for someone that doesn't really have, or isn't like sort of financially, stable to be able to access mental health services?
0: Yes. So, um, of course, if you are lower income and you can qualify for Medicaid. um, So if they can qualify for Medicaid, then they can access services through uh, providers who accept Medicaid. But then there are people who don't even qualify for Medicaid and just want to be able to pay out-of-pocket, lower costs uh, for therapy based on what they can afford. Um, And so there is a website, uh, it's called Open Path Collective um, that people that's, can, that's exactly act. what I used. That's what you, oh, look, That's used. Exactly so, yes. Use, yeah. So you can use that in multiple places. Um, it just depends on if the therapists that are licensed in that area are on open path collective. And so you're, you're going to find, especially with the expansion of telehealth. Now you're, you can find someone that's in your state. Um, now if they're in your exact area, that might be an issue, but if you le- are willing to do telehealth, uh, your options are much greater to be able to find someone who can accommodate you under that open path website. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, um, websites like BetterHelp. I'm not on BetterHelp, So this is not a plug or anything, um, but <laughs> there is, and I'm not on open path. So no plug here. Right. So, um, better is affordable. Um, and I can't give you rates because it differs per person, but, um, to be able to access a therapist on there, you know, multiple times a month is going to be much, uh, less expensive than if you were to do it in person, um, and trying to catch someone. So, I think that those two websites are really good options uh, for people who may have financial difficulties or just can't afford, you know, standard out of pocket services. So,
1: yeah. So, you, um, as you mentioned, in addition to you providing like, you know, services in a school, you also do therapy appointments with people on like completely online, right? Yes. Is that, was that always your plan or is that like a pandemic accommodation that you've made?
0: Okay, so actually providing therapy was never my plan ever
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs)
0: outside of work. Like I never and I'll say this now, like since I understand it better about myself, um, I had always been a school based therapist. So I had always done therapy with children. And then I started a part time job doing therapy with um, senior citizens, the geriatric population at a uh, inpatient hospital. Um, So whenever I did that, I was like, okay, well, I guess I can work with adults, too. Um, And then it kind of made me feel a little bit burnt out uh, with doing therapy because I was doing it, you know, at my regular job. And then I would go to my part time job and do it there, too. So I was kind of like, oh, no, I'm done with therapy. I'm just finished. I'm not doing this anymore. Um, And so I got a job that was still school based, but it didn't have really much therapy involved. Um, And then I got my clinical license and I was like, okay, I need to make some real money again. So I went to go work for the Air Force. And that actually, um, renewed my interest in doing therapy because I got to work with a different population. And that's how I found what type of therapy I like to do. Um, then, you know, finding out like what I was actually good at with doing therapy because every therapist is not good at everything or working at every, you know, with every client. And so working with the military, I actually found that I had a passion for working with victims of domestic violence. Um, you know, people who were experiencing self-esteem issues or anger issues, um, and, you know, just helping people to become better versions of themselves. And I liked working with that age group also, because mainly I was working with like 18, um, 18, i I'd say to like maybe 35, 36, because I was working with active duty military. And so I found that that was my preferred population as well, um, that age group. So it has helped me with realizing that I liked to do therapy. Um, but when I moved to Dallas, I started working in the schools again, which was my preference. I wanted to work with the, the at a school again. Um, But I realized that I did want to provide therapy part-time to my preferred population. So it kind of would give me the best of both worlds to be able to do the school in the daytime. And then, you know, for my evening and weekends, be able to work with, um, you know, people 18 to 35, that range.
1: Yeah. What do you think it is like about your personality that sort of made you gravitate to like victims of or survivors of, you know, domestic assault and or like, you know, self-esteem issue people?
0: Uh, I think it was that, you know, to be able to see that change in people like after services with them, to be able to see the impact um that it made was different. It just looked different than working with, you know the the students that I was working with because I found fulfillment in that, of course. but mm-hmm. I found a different type of fulfillment in helping people just, you know be able to get their lives back on track, to be able to feel empowered. And I think that was my main thing was to help people feel empowered really made me feel good. Um, and so that's how that became, you know my preferred population uh working with people who are experiencing issues like that.
1: Yeah. Does your work at school like is there ever a time where you're kind of like sitting down with a student and like having like a session with them? Does that ever happen?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. So that is my main responsibility. Um mm-hmm. is to make sure that I'm doing individual sessions with students. Um so yeah, that pretty much encompasses my day doing that and You know all the other stuff is kind of secondary like that is the the priority is to make sure they're getting mental health services within the school
1: Mm -hmm. how does like how does a a student get to see you like are they do they have to get referred by you know a teacher or something like that or is it like standard that every student gets to see the social worker
0: so once again i'm in a unique position because i'm at the school every day um so i have the ability to get referrals from like different resources within the school as opposed to somebody who may just be there, you know, once a week. So my coworkers who are at schools once a week usually get their referrals through. We have a referral system and our counselors can, um, our school counselors can put in referrals in our referral system um, and our administrators also. So like principals, assistant principals and things like that. Um, but for me, a lot of times my referrals, they come from our counselors, but they can also be word of mouth or a parent will call up and say, hey, you know, I feel like my child needs counseling. And then they will direct
1: that um, that to me. Um so how has the pandemic sort of affected your workday you know yeah like what does your workday look like in a pandemic time and like is it is it is it different at all are you any less or more busy
0: Okay i would say less busy and that's because there's just not as many kids at the school um but i do see students students who are remote have access to the same services as well so they can still get mental health services with me also so I'll say my workday looks different. Um, it is less busy, but it's different because you you are required to service students who are at school and st- students who are remote. So it can get a mm-hmm. little bit hectic sometimes if you have students who need you right then, right there, and you have students who need you, you know, who are at home and they still need that same attention as well. Um, and I try to make sure that I create a safe space, but also boundaries and saying, Hey, you know, like just like I respect your session time and I make sure I'm on time for your session time. And I don't let other people come in during your session time. You know, we have to do that same thing for our students who are remote, you know, just because they're at home, you know, some of my students are like, oh, they could just log out and get back in and they can talk to you later. I was like, no, you can't do that. You know? So teaching them about the boundaries and respect for other students helps my work day flow better.
1: Yeah. Do you have a preference between in-person and like pro- providing uh, services in person versus providing them remotely?
0: Now that I work at a middle school full time, I would say that for that population, um, remote therapy seems to be really good because they're at home. They're in their comfort zone. You know, they feel really comfortable showing me like they'll show you stuff in their rooms and stuff like, oh, this is this or that or whatever. They they like to be at home um, and they feel comfortable there. Uh For middle school. Now, if I was still working because I used to work in elementary school and a lot of my coworkers have the same, you know, stance on this. It just doesn't work as well with small children Um, because a lot of therapy is kind of it's play based. Uh, You know, I'm not a certified play therapist or anything like that, but a lot of therapy is play based. You can play games with them, do different things to kind of get them to open up. And it's not impossible with telehealth, uh, but it's harder. Um, So with middle school and high school, they seem to
1: work really well remotely. Mm hmm. Did you ever work with younger kids?
0: Yeah, I worked at an elementary school. That was my first job for like three years. Um, And I couldn't imagine doing what I did then now through telehealth (laughs) with small kids. Like I could, I don't know, like more power to my coworkers that can do that because they're really creative and they're always thinking of like new and innovative ways to do things with small kids. But I prefer my middle school kids. I mean, especially when it comes to remote because they're just so, they're into it and they like it. And they also like to be able to like log in and just talk to you you know they think it's cool so
1: yeah Uh, that's that's actually super interesting i mean like like i said i never had access to any kind of like social work or like mental health services as like someone that was in grade school and so yeah i was gonna ask you like do the kids like respond well to it like are they excited to come see you
0: So at first, no, most of the time, Um, (laughs) you know, just transparency, no, because most of the time they're just like, why do I have to go to her? I don't know her. Um, There's nothing wrong with me and I shouldn't have to go there and I don't want to talk to her. And, uh, you know, I work in, you know, urban neighborhood and it's like, I'm not telling her my business. I'm not talking about what goes on in my house. And my mama told me, don't tell anybody what goes on in my house. I'm not telling her anything. So it usually takes like maybe by the third session and then they're, they're open to working with me um, because they realize like that's not my motive here is to, you know, disrupt anything that's going on in your family or to tell everybody in the school your business. And they like that I'm bound by confidentiality as well, because even though they're young, they still have their right to their confidentiality. And they like that because I can't just go and talk about what we talked about in our session and go back and tell your parent or your grandparent or even other teachers in a school and stuff. So. Uh, at first, no, they're not open. But then after they get to know me, most of them are excited.
1: Yeah. I mean, confidentiality isn't really something that's like afforded to kids very often at all.
0: No, it's not. And uh, even with that's that's probably one of the biggest struggles with my job is people not understanding that just because it's a child, you know, a kid, that, that doesn't mean that I'm supposed to have to give you all of their
1: information. Like people still don't get that part. So you have to deal is that something you like regularly have to deal with from parents? Uh,
0: Yeah. You know, I'll say that there (laughs) are. parents are are like, I want to
1: know what's going on with my kid. And you're like, I literally can't tell you, dude. Right.
0: Exactly. And so sometimes I'll have conversations and you know that there's of course limits to confidentiality. So if a student tells me that they plan to to hurt themselves, they're going to hurt somebody else or somebody is hurting them, then I have to reveal the information to the parent or, you know, to emergency services or child protective services, whatever it may be. Um, And so they understand that. And I start every session off with that, So they know that. Um, So parents do get the information that they need. And then I do. If if, I'll say this. If there's an issue and it's a family issue and it's affecting the child and they give me permission to speak with the parent about it and say, hey, like, I want to talk to both of you about this. I think it'll be helpful if you're in this session. Then they'll allow me to do that most of the time. But and I think that they like that I ask their permission before I do that because it's not a necessary thing. Like, I don't have to reveal that information to the parent, but I feel like it would help the student. And so if that's the case, then I tell them like, hey, can I, you know, can I do this? And they'll usually say yes, you know.
1: Um. So I'm thinking about you know. Um. I assume I I haven't seen you on video. I'm assuming that we're both no. part of the black community. Is yes. that a safe Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know i there was a lot of like sort of i think apprehension in the black community about just like mental health services therapy social work in general i mm-hmm. feel right is that something that like did you experience that growing up like what made you want to get into doing what you do
0: i'll say that it, it's crazy because i didn't even have access to anything to even know that that was an issue with the, the black community If that even makes sense, like I didn't even have access to therapists and and things like that um, to even know that people would tell you, you know, like don't talk to one. Um, I didn't realize that until I was actually, you know, in graduate school working at I did my internship at a school and working at a school and then people telling their kids that like, hey, don't talk to her. Don't tell her anything Um, or, you know, no, we're good. We don't need a therapist. You know, I, I got this. We do this at home or we, you know, I take them to church or you know whatever the case may be and so i've experienced that then what led me to become a social worker is that i knew i want to help people um but i, I wanted to do it in a different way um mm-hmm. you know i didn't want to i knew i didn't want to be a nurse i didn't want to do anything medical because i had like zero interest in like the that part of the healthcare yeah, system i'll say life. yeah i had no interest in doing that but i did have an interest in mental health Um, and helping people through and I I always found myself to be a planner when I was young like even still now like um, and a lot of therapy is helping people plan like helping people plan out you know things in their life like helping them learn coping skills and planning when to use those you know when is it going to be most appropriate to use your deep breathing skills or when is it going to be most appropriate to journal or different things like that so I think that just me always wanted to help um, you know, and always being somebody that people could vent to and talk to, kind of turned into a career. So, um, and when I started out in social work, I didn't plan to do like therapy or anything. I actually yeah. was like, oh, I'm gonna go work at like a um, I plan to do like a shelter or something like that because I really like um administrative tasks. Uh, but it changed once I actually got in and started doing it. And I was like, okay, I like this. So, um, mm-hmm. and I liked having that individual impact on somebody and building that uh therapeutic relationship. So.
1: Mm-hmm. That is what, what led me to therapy. What? When did you realize that you wanted to work in a school?
0: I did when I did my graduate internship. So my undergraduate internship was with the Department of Children and Family Services. Um, so I learned a lot about like foster care, adoption, um, different things like that. Um, and so I, I got to see how this system worked. And then for my graduate internship, I did that at a school But not just like one school. I did it for the school district. So I got to do a variety of ages and things like that in different schools. Um, And so I really enjoyed um, being able to work with the students, being able to work with the school. And, you know, my job that I got like right out of grad school was at a school. And I not only did like the therapy part and all of that, but I also did like school wide activities to be able to help the entire school climate instead of just being able to work with my caseload students. I got to do things for the entire school and for their parents too, like conducting parenting classes and workshops and things like that. So I felt like I was working with the whole family as opposed to just working with the students.
1: hmm So you kind of got a taste of it all. And you were like, this is actually lit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I loved it. And that was probably to this date like one of my favorite jobs, just because I got to do so many different things. I love variety. And that's another reason I became a social worker is you could work anywhere. It feels like, like I've worked in so many different places doing so much, you know, so many different things. Um, and there's still so much I haven't tapped into and there's so much to go. So, uh, I I get bored very easily. And so (laughs) I like variety and I like to switch things up and I have that option to do that. So,
1: yeah. I mean, even just in your career, like you've worked in schools, like, and in the military.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very different thing. Very different. Uh,
1: so yeah I've worked in schools i worked for the military I've worked for uh,
0: community mental health agencies Um, I worked for a hospital before in an inpatient psych unit and I worked in a psych hospital Um, so just a lot of different stuff
1: right so you're but you're so you're primarily serving like kind of two very different populations right you're serving Mm. like kids in your middle school and kids like you know and like 18 to what was the upper bound of your of your clients you said well so 18 to 35 but lately I've been working with older adults
0: too um like you know like maybe 50 plus um I had a have had a client before that was 70 um mm-hmm. and I had one that turned 90 while we were working together so I've worked with like all ages um and it's just so interesting to see how you know everybody is dealing with different things um and how I can help different people with all of it
1: yeah so obviously like you have to kind of like I mean, you mean you have to tailor your services to the population that you're serving and to like the person that you're serving right but are there any are, are there any like surprising like similarities similarities in the issues that you see amongst the populations of people that you serve huh um and if it's completely different that's cool too but no, i'm just curious
0: i'll say well i don't really see a lot of similarities between like different age groups and things because it's just so different you know, by the time that you're an adult, how you handle things as opposed to when you were a child. But I will say this, whenever you tap into when you're working with an adult and you tap into their past and see how they handle things as a child for that individual adult, they handle a lot of same the way things the same way that they handled it when they were a child. Um, And so we're trying to undo, you know, patterns and things like that. And like, figure out ways to reframe thinking and all of that. And so you you do realize, like when you ask them like, okay, well, when did this first happen? Oh, it happened when I was 16. It's like, okay, well, how did you deal with this when you were 16? Oh, I did this. And I'm like, okay, well, that's the same thing we're still doing. So is there anything that you want to do differently? And they're like, oh, I never realized that. You know, I never realized that I'm still doing the same things because as they were getting older, um, they felt like things had changed, but it was really just different situations, but the same response. Um, yeah. I will say that people felt like when I went to go work for the military, because I went from working with, you know, kids to to going to work for the military and they were like, oh, you're not going to like that because it's just, it's so different. And they're so um, high functioning. And, you know, it's like, they're, they're so strict and stringent and they're not going to tell you anything. And people in the military are people too, um, you know, and they have problems just like everybody yeah. else does. And their problems are actually way different sometimes just because of all the pressure and stress that they may be under and, there are different conditions that they live in and stuff. So I'll just say that everything is really different than what people may think it is. For
1: sure. I mean, and like, I think that as adults, it's really easy for us to kind of discount the stress that comes with like the life of a child. Uh But like, I mean, even thinking back to middle school, right? Like my, I remember just being so fucking stressed out about like whatever Uh is happening back home, all the assignments I'm juggling. Like I was in all like honors and AP classes. So like, that's just like, that's a stressful ass life, you know?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, with middle schoolers, and that's why I enjoy working with them just because they are going through like life transitions. You're going from being this elementary student to now you're in middle school and you don't know, you know, you're too old to feel like, they feel like they're too old to do the things they did in elementary school, but they're not old enough to do the things that the the teenagers, high school, they're doing. Yeah, the high school. And you know, and then they are, they feel like they're having issues socially and they're having self-esteem problems and, you know, everybody's looking different and, you know, we have acne and we have this and we have that. And it's just like, how do I deal with all these things going on? Plus I have problems at home and, you know, I have no friends here. Like all my friends stopped talking to me and, you know, it's yeah. just, it's always something, but it, it's interesting to work with them because they're going through a lot of things. And so I feel rewarded working with middle schoolers. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um.
1: So it sounds like you work a lot. <laughs> it I sounds do. like you work you work in a school 5 days a week and you do like you know therapy sessions like how how much are you working realistically are you working a week hourly mm. or an hours wise
0: I try I try not to work more than 50 hours a week um so I work my standard 40 with the school and then I try not to work more than 10 hours throughout the rest of the week because I have you know a small child I have a daughter I told you this, 4 months so I try to spend time with her as much as I can. And I don't I've learned to, like, tailor my schedule to her um, as far as like my part time work goes, because I can't tailor my full time job because then we won't have any money for daycare to tailor that. Um, So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we work with that. So I, I, you know, I've worked my schedule kind of around her. And so I try to only do therapy like at home, you know, my online therapy only like maybe two to three days per week after work and only a couple of hours a day. Um, that way, I can still spend time with her and you know pick her up from daycare and stuff like that on those days that I'm not with her. And I have a good support system because her dad will make sure that you know she gets picked up and stuff. So, but I try not to, you know, spend too much extra time outside of my full time job working, uh, for yeah. work life balance purposes.
1: Do you feel like, and you know, this I don't know if this is a weird question, but do you feel like being a social worker is like is going to like influence the way you parent or like, you know, <laughs> has a positive effect on the way that you parent.
0: It's funny you ask that. Cause I think about that every day. Uh, yes. You know, and we were just actually talking about this yesterday. I mean, just seeing so much stuff, especially working with kids. Um, and really from when I worked with, um, uh, child protectors doing the DCFS, um, right. internship and stuff, like it's just, you see so many things that happen to kids. Um, and so it, I'm really like protective over her and, you know, and I think that I will be that way always. And you know, even with like em- knowing, I think it's a problem. And, and me and some other social workers talked about this. It's like now you know too much about like emotional stability yeah, and mental so health, like and now it's like <laughs> <your daughter. laughs> yeah. So like now it's like oh, you know, am I speaking to you soft enough, or am I? You know, of course I don't feel like this right now because she's on four months. But it's like you know, am, I'm scared of not doing everything the the right way, quote unquote. Um, So, yeah, I definitely think it'll affect my parenting, but I'm trying to just kind of go with the flow and not overthink everything um, that has to go into parenting because you can see, I mean, you see so much, so many results of, I'll just say, like, sometimes you see results of poor parenting or um, you see the results of absent parenting or or too relaxed of parenting. So you just never really know which way you want to go, you know, and so I'm just going to try to. Just go with the flow and do my best. <laughs> but I do. I, it's funny you say that because we literally were talking about it yesterday.
1: <laughs> yeah, you. I mean, and before we started recording, you and I were talking about how you would listen to our episodes with Justin and Eddie, who are our therapist and and um, psychiatrist friends. And I asked them, like, do they have a hard time drawing the line between, you know, like psychoanalyzing their friends or their family? <laughs> And I feel like that line would be even harder to sort of keep up if you're like, you're literally a parent, you know, like uh-huh. you, you have a daughter and you're trying to make sure that, you know, she has the best mental health possible, but you also at the same time, you can't, you can't be her social worker.
0: Right. Yes. And so I have to, just, I got to remember that in life, <laughs> but I think, you know, I think I do a good job of with like family and friends um separating my career from family and friendships because you know I'm not my family's social worker. I'm not my friend's social worker. And so um I do allow people to talk to me, vent to me and stuff like that, but I don't feel obligated to to rush in and, you know, try to social work people. Um because, you know, I know a lot of friends that have that issue and they're like, I, you know, people say, you know, my spouse or you know, says, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of your clients. Don't talk to me like I'm your client. And so, <laughs> you know, they, they experienced that, but I, I don't do that. Um, at least I don't think. And, you know, nobody said that to me, so I guess not. But so I'm hoping to carry that forward with my child and where she doesn't feel like I'm always social working her all the time. And that if she mm-hmm. ever does need help that I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to let her get the help that she needs. And I feel like I'm the person that's going to be the best to do it because that's not the case. Um, you yeah. know, you're not the best therapist for your own child at all. There's just never a time that that is. So,
1: uh, you know, if they need that, <laughs> you know, like, that's, then it's, it's never going to be just just like, never you like, no,
0: it. I don't I don't usually like to say just never. But no, like they need somebody they can talk to that, you know, if they're going through something that's confidential and somebody they can talk to where they don't feel judged or they don't feel like they'll be in trouble. And so some kids need that. And there's nothing wrong with talking to your kids. But if you notice that they need more, um, then allowing them to receive the help that they need is important.
1: Cool. So the final question that we've been asking everyone um, is now that we're like, hopefully in late stage pandemic, um, you know, hopefully the world will be be coming back to like some kind of normal soon. What are you kind of most excited to do again that you haven't been able to do because of Hmm. quarantine?
0: Travel as far as I would like to go, Um, because we had me and my boyfriend had a trip scheduled for Jamaica for his birthday and we decided not to go. Um, because it's just not safe. Uh, and it's, it, it, there's, you know, the CDC put a rule in place now that you have to have a negative COVID test to enter the United States after having an international trip. Yeah. So if you don't have a negative test, you can't come back. Well, now we have a baby and we can't just not come back. I mean, an extra two weeks away would be nice, but it would be, you know, a little frowned upon because <laughs> who's going to watch her for two weeks? So we kind of had to think about, um, you know, the possibility of that happening because, I mean, you have to plan for the worst in those situations. And so um, I'm, I, I travel is my self-care. It is how I maintain my sanity. I love to travel. And so that is what I'm looking forward to the most, being able to travel as far as I want with no restrictions and no worries. And it's being completely safe.
1: Is there anything that you want to plug? Anything you want people to look at?
0: So I am starting my own um, online private practice. Uh, and so the name of my private practice will be Revive You Therapy and uh, wellness and so with that i'll be servicing with a focus on um black women um professionals um those who are experiencing life transitions um but just in general uh the 18 to around 35 40 population who may be experiencing any life stressors any you know anything along those lines so i will be providing that individual therapy and so i'm excited about that
1: yeah and you're going to be i mean you're going to be remote so if any of our listeners want to you up they can do that
0: right so if you're in texas or if you're in louisiana i am available and i'm working on getting
1: licensed in other states as well so uh, looking towards doing new york cool so yeah um and as always if you like what you heard you can find us at i'm the villain pod that's our twitter that's our gmail and that's our instagram otherwise bye everyone